1: your championship listen to this crowd
0: Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond
1: here's Grant McCauley Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and it's time for a very exciting chat about the National League Championship Series as the Braves and Dodgers will meet again. A rematch from last year, unfinished business for the Braves and a lot of previewing to get into here on today's episode. To help me do it all, cover all the headlines and tell you what he's been seeing all year long from this Braves team and why you should be pretty excited coming off the division series and the way this club's playing, I've got a friend of mine and one of the voices of the Braves, he is Ben Ingram of the Atlanta Braves Radio Network, and he will be joining me in just a moment. Before we get started, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. I'd appreciate it if you share it with a friend as well. If you want to follow along on social media, I'd love to have you on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find the show on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscore and on Instagram at FromTheDiamond. Of course, by now, you probably know I've got a YouTube show going with the good folks over at Talking Chop. My friend Corey McCartney and I are hosting Battery Power. Make sure you subscribe to the Talking Chop YouTube channel to get every episode of that. And if you're looking for every episode of From the Diamond as well as articles, links to the Battery Power videos, and so much more, FromTheDiamond.com is the place to find that. So to size things up for the National League Championship Series rematch between the Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers, I want to welcome one of the voices of the Atlanta Braves to the show. He, of course, is Ben Ingram. You can follow him on Twitter at Ingram Radio, and you can hear his voice nightly on the Braves Radio Network. Ben, it's been quite a while, but I'm thrilled to be sitting down with you to talk to you about a Braves team that I don't think we expected to be here, quite honestly, not too long ago.
0: Yeah, hey, this is going to be a treat for us. I mean, getting an opportunity to think about this ball club and talk about what they've done and I think the last time we did this was right around spring training or opening day, so I'm mm-hmm. sure we are wrong on just about everything that we discussed <laughs> that day. And <laughs> Glad it all worked out, though. This, is, uh, this has been amazing to see this ride and see this team get to the NLCS.
1: Well, you know, there's that old adage that uh, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, and when the baseball gods are involved, a lot of times the best laid plans by general managers, managers, and fans, and teams, and everyone involved with baseball, sometimes those get a pretty good laugh, but sometimes – it kind of works out in the end. And for the Atlanta Braves, the journey to get to the postseason has to be extremely rewarding. And they find themselves staring at the Los Angeles Dodgers in an NLCS rematch, second time in as many years for these two clubs. The Braves, of course, had them on the ropes last year. It's a fascinating matchup, I think, Ben. But as you look at where this club was two months ago and everything that the Braves had to do to get here, how improbable is it that we are talking about the Atlanta Braves four wins away from the World Series for the second straight year?
0: It's very improbable. I, I think that you could see a path, but I don't think you felt like that path was going to be traveled. Yeah. I, I remember one time, this was probably back in uh, early July. This was right before the All-Star break. And when we do the Brian Snitka report every single day, we do it over the phone now rather than in person due to the COVID restrictions and such. And each day when he calls in, they connect my microphone to him. We're able to, to speak. Mm-hmm. He was up. Uh, and I wasn't aware that he was on the line yet. And, and I got caught in the middle of saying, man, if we could just catch a break, this team could be really good. But we just can't get it going night and night out. And, and Snit pops in. He goes, I agree with everything you're saying. I was like, oh, Snit, I don't even know you're there yet. But, but it, it's funny because you you can see it taking place. You can see the path. Yeah. If you got this, that, and the other to go your way, then things could turn around. They just hadn't at that point. And for this team to tread water basically for four months and then flip the switch, it's very improbable. And and it makes it very rewarding, which is bizarre to say because it's weird to think of one team's path to the NLCS being more rewarding than the other team's Mm -hmm. path. But I think you could make that argument given what the Braves have been through. They've had so many hurdles in their lane compared to the Dodgers. And I know that the Dodgers went through all sorts of tough circumstances in order to get here because they were a 106-win card team Crazy. and had to beat the Cardinals and had to go on the road to beat the Giants. Uh, but at the same time, this is a Braves team that lost – in my mind, the most dynamic player in the game, and Ronald Acuna mm-hmm. lost, who could arguably be their ace, and Mike Soroka lost their catcher for three months, lost who at the time was their best pitcher at Wasgari Noah for three months, and and to think about all those losses and to still arrive back where you were a year ago that that's remarkable and it it really is against the odds. So to get here the way that they have, it is it is definitely rewarding for this team. But I I, I feel like this is a different feeling uh, Mm -hmm. to the point where you you feel like they could do more than than just this, that maybe this isn't the greatest accomplishment that they'll see in 2021. You hope that that's the case. And maybe we're talking about another two celebrations for this ball club.
1: Yeah. Well, I know everybody involved from the fans to the players, to the front office, to anybody that is mildly affiliated with the Atlanta Braves professional baseball club would feel pretty rewarded and gratified by a couple of more celebrations i think this first one was quite the step in and of itself to get there and as we size up the two teams that we're gonna see in this nationally championship series i want to kind of go through what we saw during the regular season but as you just hit on ben this is a very different club than it was the first time they played the dodgers back in atlanta when they did take a series from them earlier in the summer they got swept in one later in the season what would you take away from the season series between these two clubs
0: I think the first thing that comes to mind is you need to win while you're at home, Mm -hmm. and that's the good thing about this series for the Braves. They have home field. Things have not gone well at all for the Braves at Dodger Stadium, as we all know, and that's not just this year. That's the last several years. That has been uh, – it's like a different verse of the same song every time you go out there where things just do not go well. I'm a big believer in patterns. I'm a believer in what you've seen is, is about what you could expect. And that's not to say that the Braves couldn't go out there and totally turn things around and find a way to win a couple of games in L.A., but just in case that's the case, I feel like when you're at home, you need to find a way to capitalize. You don't want to be 1-1 or 0-2 going to L.A. and having to rely on winning in a place where you're not used to winning. I think they've got to capitalize and find a way to win games at home. I say if you leave town 1-1, then okay, you'll see what happens, Uh, but but the way that things have gone for the Braves uh, against the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium makes me feel like you need to win both of these ball games at home, games one and two. Which is interesting because you might not be using Charlie Morton until game three. Right. That decision has not been made yet, but you know Max Fried goes in game one. and You've got to win with Max out there, especially against the Dodger team that used so many pitchers in that Giants series and, and even used Max Scherzer to close the final game, expecting it to be Tony Gonsolin for game one for the Dodgers, but we'll see. But you're at a much better position when it comes to where your pitching staff is and your bullpen is than where they are. And given that those games are at home, uh, I think the Braves really need to make a statement, just like they did last year. Come out and take the first two ball games at home with, with Max and whomever you want to throw in Game Two, likely Ian, and, and that gives you a good opportunity with Charlie in Game Three. So that that's my take on what I've seen this season, uh, and that might be a little bit skewed because I would make the argument that this is a different Braves team, yeah. like you mentioned, than what we saw in in August and what we saw in May, the, the two previous times that the Braves played the Dodgers. I'm a big believer in that, and I think they really need to be their best when they're at home and take advantage of those games because it hasn't gone well in L.A.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And anybody that's watched this team over the last few years, even after they got out of the rebuild and got into the place where the Braves were once again in contention, they never seemed to have very much fun in Dodger Stadium, to your point. And even this year, they went out there. Those three games were super competitive. And I feel like they could have literally gone either way in those contests. They didn't just go out there and get swept and, you know, feel like, hey, we can't even score runs against this team and we're out of it. They didn't look completely overmatched. But hey, as they say, a win is a win, a loss is a loss, and they're all going to count the same. And when it comes to this series, you got to win those four ball games. It doesn't really matter where they are. So we'll see if they're able to, you know, maybe find a little bit of magic or maybe pack some magic in their bag and take it out on the road to Dodger Stadium when it comes to that. But the importance of winning at home, I don't think can be overstated. Ben, we just saw the Braves edge out a Milwaukee team with excellent starting pitching. You just laid out what the Dodgers have, and we know it's one of the strongest staffs in all of baseball, and they've been that way for quite some time. They're even doing it without Clayton Kershaw right now, which is really something to think about. We're going to see more of this in this series with this great pitching, but with Max Fried, as you said, Charlie Morton and Ian Anderson, I do think Atlanta has a chance to match up there for the most part with the rotation, but it does feel like, Ben, after those top three, it gets a lot trickier for the Braves than it does for the Dodgers.
0: It does. I think the Dodgers would say, OK, if you beat this one guy that we have another two or three bullets we can use. Uh-huh. I think for the Braves, when you're when you're rolling your best out there, you've got to win. Um, I I agree with you. I, if you're not winning with Max Fried and Charlie Morton on the mound, then I don't think anyone's going to like the Braves chances. Mm-hmm. You have to make those bullets count ian has been unbelievable in the postseason it really is extraordinary what he's done in, in such a short amount of time uh given what he did last year and, and the game that he had versus milwaukee and um if, if he can go out there and be brilliant that's great for the braves you'd love an opportunity to where you can you can make sure that 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 counts when you got max and charlie out there and if you have to go to a bullpen game the, the, at least you're working from the upper hand. At least at least you're playing with house money at that point. If those guys have gotten their jobs done and you've won with Max and Charlie on the mound, you don't feel bad in a ballgame where it's, you know, uh, Chavez, Smiley, whomever else you want to run out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that keeps everything on track. If you're able to do that then you feel really good about that, you just don't want to be relying on that and saying, gosh, you, you lost with Max or you lost with Charlie. Now I'm relying on these guys to win a ballgame. Could happen. But I think the Dodgers have a lot more depth when it comes to that next man. Yeah. And hopefully some of their uh, their fuel has been depleted from what they went through in that giant series. And that could be a major factor in this series. But you're right. I, I think you have to make those count when you're running your best out there. I know this isn't fair, but I, I keep thinking, man, what would it look like if Mike Soroka yeah. was 100% Absolutely. able to go for this series? That could change everything. And I think we were saying that last year as well. Mm-hmm. But this is what you have, and to this point, these guys have pitched extremely well and went head-to-head with a team whose strength was starting pitching, and the Braves came out as the story of that series and what they did on the mound rather than the Brewers, and hopefully they can do that again.
1: Yeah, you look across the board at what the Braves pitching staff did in the National League Division Series. It was the best overall job of pitching by any team in the playoffs thus far, And that I think is a testament to the starting pitching they got, but also the bullpen, which we'll touch on a little bit later. You brought up something really interesting about you know where the Braves might be lined up. We know that Charlie Morton did throw on short rest as the Braves went for that win in Game Four and got it against the Brewers to advance to the championship series. So maybe you save Charlie Morton for Game Three in Dodger Stadium, and I think there's a little bit something to that when you look at Charlie's postseason resume. But Ian Anderson, not only does he pitch well at Truist Park, but you brought up his postseason numbers, 3-0, a 0.76 ERA, 30 punchouts in 23 and two-thirds innings, and opponents have an OPS somewhere under 450 against him in his run through the postseason. So as we talked about losing Mike Soroka and how the Braves might have been just Mike Soroka away from going to the World Series last year, the emergence of Ian Anderson and the opportunity that he may be presented here to get one of these starts in the first two games at home would certainly be just another Big stage for this guy who has done nothing but perform when the Braves have needed him most.
0: Yeah, and I hope that that's how it lays out. I'd love to see Ian in game two and Charlie in game three, and there's several reasons for that. Uh, while Ian has postseason experience, like you mentioned, and has been really good, I like the idea of pitching him in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say that you, you you split the two games in Atlanta or you're down 0-2. Let's just kind of think about those two situations. If that's the case, if you're down 0-2, I don't want to be relying on a 23-year-old in Dodger Stadium in a must-win situation. Yeah. I'd much rather have Charlie Morton in that situation. You hope you're not. You hope you're not down 0-2, but but just in case, I, I think that uh, a steadying force like Charlie, a guy who has 16 postseason appearances, uh, in that environment, that's the guy that I want. I think he's the guy that that's most. Uh, equipped for handling that environment, that, in my opinion, postseason baseball, the mound at Dodger Stadium, that is probably the most rattling environment that a pitcher could find himself in. I've called games in just about every ballpark in the big leagues, and to me there's there's nothing that is louder, uh, more intimidating, more unsettling than, than that mound at Dodger Stadium, especially in a postseason mm-hmm. situation. So Charlie, to me, is the guy that I want setting the tone game three Uh, never mind the environment, never mind how raucous it may be, I'm going with that guy. And I think that puts Ian in a better situation in game two. Um, And and then think about how – uh, much pressure is taken off of Ian's shoulders if you win game one with mm-hmm. Max on the mound and, and you're up 1-0. So I, I think that really plays out well for the Braves. I, not to say that they don't feel comfortable with the end in any situation. I think that they do. I think he's proven himself. But I just think you want to give him the best opportunity to, to succeed given that he's just 23 years old. And, and Charlie's a much more proven commodity at, at 37 and been on the mound so many times in so many big postseason games and come through. I think that would be... The route that makes the most sense in my mind and very excited to see what Ian would be able to do at home in game two.
1: Yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said for that particular kind of strategy. And thinking about the way that they're lining up their staff as well, the Dodgers just had to go five games to beat the Giants in their NLDS while Atlanta wrapped things up against Milwaukee in four games. And Ben, I think that gives the Braves... A little bit of an edge from the preparation standpoint, not to mention the Dodgers travel situation is now fly across the country and play the first two games of the series on the road as we've been talking about. Those are the kind of things that have to make you feel a little bit better prepared if you're the Braves and set up to have that chance with two of your best starters on the mound to really set the tone for the series. I'm with you. I feel like that really is where this series could be not decided necessarily, but certainly if that tone is set there, that could be where this series is won in some way, shape, or form.
0: That's such a great point, and, and it's the same luxury that they had going into the Brewers series. Remember, they sweeped the Phillies, clinched the division. They were able to do whatever they wanted to do in that Met series to finish the season, and you had plenty of time to line things up the way that you wanted for the Brewers, prepare for the Brewers, and that worked. Now you have that same opportunity for the Dodgers, and if you have to face the Dodgers in the postseason, Grant, I really can't think of a, of a rosier scenario than this. Yeah. Having them at home, having them play last night, using the pitchers that they used, the Braves having uh, basically three days off to line up whomever they want for that game one and the series all together and preparing for the Dodgers. I can't even imagine uh, what these pre-series meetings have been like for the Braves, for Alex Anthopoulos, for Brian Snitker, for the entire coaching staff. They've seen these guys so many times. uh, They know what to expect, and I I think a really big element in this series is the injury to Max Muncie and the report, yeah. as I saw, he has a very small chance to return for the NLCS. I don't want to take anything away from the rest of those guys. They're all dangerous. they got a very good lineup. But traditionally, that guy has killed the Braves. Uh, and not having his bat in there, it really sets things off differently in their lineup. Obviously, we know that Trey Turner has, has hammered the Braves in his career. Mm. Justin Turner has as well. We saw what Corey Seager did in the NLCS last year. Uh, likewise Mookie Betts, they have a very good lineup. But that piece not being there for them, I think, changes some things around, especially when the Braves are throwing out guys who throw lots of curveballs. They have mentioned in years past that when it comes to their head-to-head meetings with the Dodgers, they feel like guys who throw lots of curveballs, lots of good breaking balls, that's the key to that success against that lineup. And, And when you're throwing out Max and you're throwing out Charlie, They throw about as many curveballs as any two Mm -hmm. pitchers out there in the big leagues. And we saw the emergence of that pitch with Ian Anderson. His changeup is still his best pitch in that fastball changeup combination. But we saw him start to use that curveball a little bit more. I think that'll be a big key in this series and executing that pitch. To me, that is where you have success against this bunch. And going back to your original point, you have multiple days to prepare Uh, multiple days to line things up the way that you want with your rotation and your bullpen. And I'm not saying that that means that you win the series, but I think that gives you a much better opportunity, a much better shot against these guys than you would have otherwise.
1: And we know what this Dodgers team can do. We've seen it firsthand. We saw it last year in the postseason. They've been doing this for years and years and years now. And we just saw them dispatch a Giants team that was one of the best in baseball as well. And, And Ben, if you're like me, and I know you are, you grow up watching the Braves for a long time. I can't help thinking a little bit, about the 1993 team when the Braves emptied the tank with that torrid second half after the McGriff trade and then they kind of ran out of gas in the NLCS against the Phillies it kind of feels like that could be a little bit of a possibility here does it not for the Dodgers
0: yeah it, it really does that's a really good comparison because the Braves just unloaded the tank just to get in I mean they, they beat the the Giants by one game um, that's a Philly team that if, if you talk to anyone who was a part of that team in 93 and, and who was also there at 95 i've heard multiple guys say our 93 team was better than our 95 team mm-hmm. uh, they just had to push in order to get there and I had a really interesting conversation with john smoltz in san diego he was calling the braves padres game on that last road trip and we were talking about that team and uh, he wasn't a big fan of how he was used or, or really not used i guess i should say for that series and he He confirmed as much. He said, we were better than that team. We just exhausted ourselves getting to that point, and we felt like that 93 team was was better than the 95 team. That 93 team won every single night in the last two months of the season. (laughs) Um, and it really it really was amazing thinking back on that. It seemed like every time you saw a box score, they had won the game. Yeah. But that's a good that's a really good comparison. And, and younger baseball fans might not remember that, but I think if you put those two side by side, you'd find a lot of similarities.
1: Yeah, it's just a little parallel that just jumped off the page to me in thinking about that. And of course, that was all set off by the Fred McGriff trade and the press box fire and all of the fun things that we've relived over the years. If you're a longtime Braves fans, but speaking of Braves first baseman and moments that could ignite this his team no pun intended Freddie Freeman had that huge postseason moment with his home runoff Josh Hader in game four we know he's a leader of this team and setting aside all the uncertainty that will follow Freddie around once the season is over I want to kind of focus in on how much we feel like and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this that winning in that kind of dramatic fashion with Freddie Freeman right at the center of it how much can that fire up this Braves team for the task that lays ahead in trying to slay the dragon that is the Dodgers
0: Uh, Whether this is real or not, I don't know, but I'm I'm going to tell you how it makes me feel. When I see a moment like that, Mm -hmm. and it could have been anybody, it could have been Eddie Rosario, but but when it's Freddie Freeman, it's different. When it's your guy, it's different. And it makes me feel that way about this team. It makes me feel that way about where this team is going it just sets it aside from a standpoint of this feels special. This feels unique. This feels different than what you felt the last three years. I think that can go a very long way. I think teams thrive on moments like that. I feel like that's contagious and it's not just Freddie. It's the other guys in that lineup mm-hmm. that feel like, okay, we're going to get this thing done. We, we've got fate on our side. We have destiny, destiny on our side. And if that's what you believe, then fine. If that gives you confidence, great. But thinking back on that moment, and I've had lots of time to think about it, In my opinion, that's one of the biggest home runs in Braves franchise history. 100%. I I think it's definitely on the top ten list. And I know that there are probably moments from previous World Series or League Championship Series that you would rank ahead of that simply because of, of what was at stake. But I think that's an all time moment. I think for a certain generation of Braves fans, for, for fans who might be 30, 35, or younger who weren't around for uh, the 90s or at least weren't old enough to appreciate what they were, that's the biggest home run they have ever seen from their favorite team because yeah. they weren't around for some of those games. So I think that's a generational moment, and I think for the franchise, it's an all-time moment. And when things like that happen, it's hard not to think about this being a special team, a team that's destined for more than just winning the division series. I don't know, and maybe we get a week down the road and that just doesn't happen to be the case, and I understand that, Mm -hmm. but it just makes it set aside and, and, and feel different in my opinion and uh, it it honestly makes me feel like we could see more moments like that in the upcoming series and hopefully beyond and uh, that's what that moment was for me and it just felt like that's where this team is and expect more of the same in, in equally as big situations.
1: And you want to see your biggest players coming through in the biggest moments and seeing Freddie Freeman do that was absolutely incredible. The curtain call that came afterwards though and you and I have been around Freddie Freeman for the better part of a decade I've seen him emotional about stuff. I've seen him get fired up on occasion, but I have never seen a more emotional and fired up Freddie Freeman than a rounding third as he circled the bases and then coming back out for that curtain call. I mean, I'm talking about it right now, and I've got the chills. It was just a moment that, as you said, has to go down as one of the primordial greatest Braves postseason moments that you're ever going to find.
0: I think his reaction really paints a picture for all the reasons that you're saying. And that's just not Freddie. He's not a celebratory guy. Freddie came up under Bobby. Freddie played for Bobby. Uh, And and I think that is part of who he is, not to say that he he can't celebrate or that maybe he would have otherwise. I I think a lot of that is who he is. And I think a lot of that is how he came up and was taught the game. Uh, You're not going to, uh, pimp home runs. You're not going to show other teams up. You're going to get the job done. You're going to show up and make sure that you take care of business, and, and you're not going to draw more attention to yourself for you know a home run in June because uh, big deal. You're trying to win that night. What that was for me was a a, a perfect painting of what that moment meant. Yeah. Uh, not only seeing Freddie take a curtain call, he wasn't reluctant. He charged up the <laughs> steps like he was about to go into a, a, a an on-field brawl. Yeah spun around like he just won the the heavyweight championship, arms up in the air. It was just an amazing moment. He was feeding the crowd. They were feeding off of him, and seeing that energy bounce back and forth off a guy that you're not used to seeing it from uh, was quite a spectacle. And To me, that just really gave you an idea of what that moment really means, how big it was. And also what it means for Freddie Freeman in his career. I think for all of us who have been following the Braves for so long, he's an all-time Brave. Certainly if he ends up being a Brave for his career, he's right up there with the likes of Chipper and others who spent their entire career in an Atlanta Braves uniform. I think number five will be retired one day so long as he finishes his career with the braves and while he's not short on big moments that was his biggest moment and that that really stamped his legacy i think hall of fame players have hall of fame moments and i think freddie's on on the way to a hall of fame career and that was one of those moments that that stamps his legacy in my opinion and one that we'll always remember when it comes to number five
1: yeah and that curtain call just to kind of put a bow on that as though it needs it because it kind of stands on its own it doesn't need to be dressed up but you know i can't think of too many braves curtain calls over the years outside of chipper jones maybe retirement tour where there was a little bit more of the acknowledgement of the crowd the emotion and all the things that can go with the game in terms of that i've seen a lot of huge moments a lot of excitement a lot of exuberance from some of the younger braves players and i love that i think it's you know vital to the team as they grind their way through 162 and of course you want to celebrate your wins as well but seeing freddie freeman do that i don't want to say it was just out of character altogether but man it just it hit a different way and i'm hoping we get to see that again a couple of more times before this postseason is over and quite a few more times in freddie freeman's career i want to focus a little bit on the braves lineup because they did get some bad news not everything was as they would want it to be in game four against milwaukee jorge soler lost to the COVID list and that's a definite setback he had been so good since coming over from kansas city and a vital part of the braves starting nine and he could be sidelined for this entire nlcs uh, ben, how do you think that could affect this lineup and Atlanta's chances of outslugging or outproducing and outscoring a team as talented as the Dodgers with the lineup that we've already discussed a little bit that LA trots out there?
0: Yeah, it's really unfortunate because you just want to be a hundred percent. If you're a hundred percent, you feel like you have your best shot to survive in advance. Not having Soler, the good news is it's not a hundred percent that he'll miss the championship series. I know that there is. Uh, A likelihood that that takes place, and what Snit said yesterday was, we have to prepare as if we won't have him, and I understand that. I'm hoping that once we get two, three games into this series, that he can pass all these tests, have a negative test, and everybody be satisfied that he can go play. That would be the best-case scenario. If you don't have him, the good news is, is you're equipped – uh, I, I think having Jock Peterson in right field every single night is is a great thing. I think him having multiple ABs, especially against his former team, in October, that's a great thing. More ABs for Jock Peterson in October mm-hmm. is a really good thing. Uh, you just want to be 100%, and from that point, it, it's a downer because you, you just want to be able to use all your bullets on this team. Uh, and, and to be without Jorge Soler, uh, knowing what he can do, uh, as big a bat as he has had, the, the turnaround he had going from Kansas City to Atlanta, his number's totally different as a Brave compared to what he was as a Royal. And, and having him at the top of the order has been huge for this ball club. Ever since they moved him up there in that last road trip and got Ozzy out of there, then things really went to another level. And he just wanted to be able to do that. Uh, I'll be curious to see how they handle the top of the order. I would assume it would remain Dansby. And and the reason I like that much more so that this were the regular season is Dansby has a clutch gene. He's come through big in the postseason. He's come through big in in clutch opportunities. He's done that in the big leagues. He did that in the minor leagues. He did that at at Vanderbilt, helping win a national championship. And there's just something about that guy and big moments where he comes through. So I love what the team said the other night. Uh, when it came to the news on Jorge Soler that was going into game four, it would have been very easy to say, oh, no, that that really throws things off, yeah. and we're not quite as sure of ourselves now. That wasn't the case. And what Alex told us after the ball game and what Snit told us after the ball game was, Those guys acted like they weren't even Uh phased. They, they, Dansby said after the game, we've been through way worse than this. This is nothing. (laughs) We're going to be just fine. And he's right. Like I mentioned, they've had so many hurdles in their lane this year, and this really wasn't near as as tall a hurdle compared to the other ones that they've had to clear to this point. And I think they realize they'll get Jorge back so long as they keep playing baseball and can play long enough. Certainly he would be there for the World Series if uh, you're able to advance to that point and they're very competent in themselves and who they have in that room in order to re- have a next-man-man-up uh, mentality and, and replace Jorge. So uh, that's what I expect, and I, I think Dan's at the top of the order in the postseason, can be good. I think having Jock in right field every night can be good, and, and you still have plenty of playmakers in there.
1: You brought up Jock Peterson, and it wouldn't be a preview of the National League Championship Series, the Braves postseason, and, oh, by the way, the former Dodger, longtime Dodger Jock Peterson – this has got to be a unique series for him because he's going to be playing against the club that he was helping last year get to the World Series, going through this Braves team that Jock is now a part of. I think that's one of the more interesting storylines we're going to find in this series. And, oh, by the way, Jock Peterson, he has a knack for coming up with some pretty big hits, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, he does. He's got 11 postseason home runs. He's got 25 postseason RBI. He's got an OPS of 890 in the postseason Uh, this guy comes through on the big stage and getting a chance to face his former team. I think that's going to drive up uh, his desire even further. I know that when we went there in uh, end of August, early September, not to say that he doesn't play a hundred percent all the time, but it seemed like his hustle went up a tick. It seemed like he he had a a little bit more juice in that series, had a home run in that series. Um, there are not too many guys that march to the beat of their own drum quite like Jock. Uh, That guy is as unique a ball player as I've ever seen. I'll give you a good story. Uh, He's from Palo Alto, as everybody knows, so not too far from San Francisco. And he did something I've never seen before. When we arrived in San Francisco to play the Giants uh, a few weeks ago, regular season series, plane lands, we get on the buses, the buses drive to uh, the edge of the airport entrance, and it's just a street out there. He gets off the bus, and I guess he was waiting for a friend or a family member to come and pick him up, and he just stood there on the side of the road as the team drove off to, towards the hotel, and we <laughs> left Jock on the side of the road, right outside the San Francisco wow. airport. I mean, the guy just doesn't care. The pearls, uh, his attire, showing up with the bleach blonde hair. Yeah. Dan's said something that was really interesting the other day where he said, Jock is never going to change due to the environment that he is in. He's not going to be swayed to be something different. He's going to be him no matter what. I say that because I also bring up what Snit said. He said, Jock doesn't have a heartbeat. Jock is not bothered by the big situation or, or the pressure situation that's just who he is yeah. and he's as unique a, of a ball player as i've ever seen and having that guy on your side facing his former team that could be a really dramatic uh set of circumstances uh, for this series so i cannot wait to see what he has in store for this series
1: yeah really could be one of the guys to watch no question about it a couple of more before we get out of here and i would be remiss not to ask you about austin riley we've watched this kid grow up through the brave system we've checked in with him each spring before he made his major league debut we saw him explode on the scene in 2019 and then we saw him go through the things that a lot of young players go through and that is the hardships of trying to establish yourself at the big league level and become a productive everyday player austin Riley had to grind through all of that i'm sure he had plenty of questions swirling around in his head about whether or not he was ever going to be able to attain that consistency but the work that he has done with a whole bunch, a myriad of hitting coaches and gurus that he's brought in to give him a little bit of insight and help create the overall results that we're seeing right now. I mean, I guess it takes a village to raise a slugger like Austin Riley, and that certainly has put him in a place to be a cornerstone for the Braves for years to come. I think if the Braves are going to win this series, just as they won throughout the year, then Austin Riley is going to have to play a big part in that and he showed against the Brewers in some pretty tough pitching that he's capable of making some contributions.
0: Yeah, he did, and I'm right there with you. I think you need a big showing from from Austin Riley. I'm so thrilled for Austin and, and, and what he has become. I think it's a very good reminder of how hard this game is and, furthermore, how much work he put in to reach the level that he reached here in 2021. We, we are so conditioned now grant to where if a guy doesn't come up at 21 years old and become an all-star become a cunha become soto become tatis that all of a sudden he's damaged goods that, that he that he, we overrated him as a prospect that he's just not going to be what we thought he would be and and I think that is that is so dangerous to play that game I mean there are plenty of guys there are plenty of examples of Position players not figuring it out until they're 25, 26 years old. Pitchers not figuring it out until they're 30 years old. Look at Charlie Morton and the pitcher for seven, eight years of his career. Now what he is. Uh, This this game is not a game with the guys who succeed being the guys who are are 20, 21 years old and become phenoms overnight and are all-stars their first year. And, And to be quite honest, that doesn't happen very often. And we should celebrate those guys who can do that. But that doesn't mean that the guys that that take two or three years to figure it out that doesn't mean that they're damaged goods. Uh, I mean, I go back to spring training and so many conversations with people about how well, Austin Riley can't hit a slider and all he's going to do is strike out two hundred times and may, yeah, maybe he'll hit twenty home runs, but he's going to go hit two ten and strike out a ton. Well, how do you know that? Uh, at, at the time he was twenty three years old, we've hardly seen this guy. We, we've seen just a, an ounce uh, of what this guy could become, and this guy progressed this season and and improved about as much as anyone I've ever seen over the course of a season, not just at the plate, but in the field as well. He turned himself into, in my opinion, a Gold Glove candidate, and I think what we saw out of him is is almost on par with what you'd see out of Nolan Arenado defensively at third base. That's heavy praise, but that's what I saw from Austin Riley. And he goes out there and hits three hundred three. I mean, this is a guy who had almost six hundred ABs and and goes out there and, and hits over three hundred for the season. None of us thought he could do no. that. Not even close. If, if, if he hit two eighty, you'd have been thrilled with that. And he goes out there and hits 300 and and hits 33 bombs and 107 RBIs and and all that. Um, He's an MVP candidate. And if this guy doesn't finish top three in the MVP, then people just weren't paying attention. So it's so good to see that. And it should be a reminder that we can't be so quick to label a guy for being this or that or whatever when they're 22, 23 years old. This is a very hard game. And, and it takes some guys two, three years before they reach that level that we thought that they could reach. Um, so I, I love what he was able to do. I love how he went about it and his approach all the way through. And now you're looking at a guy who's 24 years old and you'd hope to be a cornerstone at third base for many years to come and thrilled for what he did this season and can't wait to see what's in the future for Austin Riley.
1: Yeah, at 24 years old, he became just a sixth Bravester baseman in franchise history with a 30 home run season, joining guys like Eddie Matthews, Chipper Jones, Bob Horner, Derrick Carl Evans and that guy Josh Donaldson that was here not long ago that a lot of people wanted to stick around even longer at 24 years old his 100 RBI season he joins Eddie Matthews and Chipper Jones as the only guys to do that at age 24 or younger so if you talk about arriving and really establishing yourself Austin Riley has done that and then some and I think again you're going to need big contributions from a guy like that who is giving you nothing but big contributions all year long Ben the Braves bullpen got some heat at times this year but even going into the NLDS I wasn't sure that people were really sold on these guys and this group I think is a little bit better on the whole than it gets credit for particularly down the stretch I think they started to come into their own I know Will Smith has been an adventure in the ninth inning at times everybody's seen it and experienced it but the work by guys like Tyler Matzak and Luke Jackson AJ Mentor, and others really has this bullpen feeling like more of a strength right now than something that you're, you know, ready to hit the panic switch on every time a runner gets on base.
0: That's an amazing transition to think about. You know, you mm-hmm. go from being a liability to now a foundation,
1: and and really, that's I think the things that
0: you would say about the bullpen, you could say about the team as a whole. I, I was looking at some odds this morning for the Braves and and winning the World Series, and obviously the Dodgers have the, uh, according to Vegas, have the best odds of winning the World Series. Like the Braves are like plus five seventy five the least favorite team to win a world series, perhaps are the four teams that are left. And I wonder how much of that is what we're conditioned to what we saw during the regular season, Where, in other words, you'd say, well, the Dodgers won 106 games. The Braves only won 88. Clearly the Dodgers are the better team. Well, what happened from May through the first few weeks of August doesn't mean anything right now. Uh, How a team finished is what's more important. What the team looked like in the final four to six weeks of the season is the most important thing. And if you were to extrapolate that out for an entire season, yeah, the Braves could have won 100-plus games. They could have been a team like that. But what they didn't do in the first four to five months of the season – means absolutely nothing, and therefore that shouldn't come into anyone's logic of how you're you're preparing for this upcoming series or what your expectations are. I'd say the same thing for the bullpen. They had lots of shortcomings this season, and the shortcomings that they had in in May and June and July, what does that matter right now? It, It doesn't matter at all. The finished product is what matters. The Will Smith that you saw here towards the end, the Tyler Magic that you saw here towards the end, the Luke Jackson you saw at the end, that's who this team is. Never mind, you know, a blown save in, in July versus the Phillies or something like that. I, these guys have gotten better; they've really settled into their roles, and they want to be out there every single night. And, and Snit definitely obliges that. I mean, he ran out those guys every single game of that division series, and they got the job done. And they have gone from a liability to a strength. And I think you have to treat it as such. And you go into it now thinking, okay, well, this is what you are now. And what happened in May and July and whenever, that doesn't matter. And you're talking about what you are this moment. And those guys were tremendous in the division series and tremendous down the stretch of the regular season, the final three, four weeks of the year. So I think you go into this series with full confidence that those guys can get it done again in tight ball games when you have three, six, nine outs to go in a ball game.
1: Yeah, and when you look at the season that it was, not just for the Braves' bullpen, but losing Ronald Acuna and Mike Soroka, and Marcelo Zuna, and being down other key players at times throughout the year, and just trying to piece things together. Freddie Freeman's slow start, and the battle this club had just to get above 500 and stay there, this certainly feels like the most improbable of the Braves' four division titles in a row here. So, Ben, uh, let me ask you, what's your confidence level, and do you have any prediction or feeling as to which way this NLCS battle with the Dodgers will go?
0: I think it's going to be a really good one. I think it's going to be a really good series. I fully expect the Dodgers to be everything that they have been over the last few years. They are going to be a very tough out. Uh, They win the World Series last year. They want to defend that. They'd like to do it over the course of 162 now. Uh, Last year was real. Last year was – I don't want to take anything away from what anybody accomplished last season, but this is back to what we are, 162 games. They want to defend that. So I expect them to be – the toughest out in in the postseason. I think if the Braves get through this, then uh, they'll feel like they've conquered the world already before they even get to the World Series. So my prediction is that this is going to come back to Atlanta for a sixth or even a seventh game. Um, And and I got to go with my heart on this one. My brain says you probably take the Dodgers. My brain says that's the better team. Uh, top to bottom, they've been probably the most talented team that I've seen this season. And certainly when the Braves faced them, I came away thinking that's the best team in major league baseball, but I got to keep going back to what my heart's been telling me. And that this, this team has been special. This team has been unique and, and different and they've overcome so many circumstances that we didn't think that they'd get through. So what's one more, um, I'll take the Braves on their home field, coming back in either a game six or a game seven. And if that takes place, then, uh, Uh, that'll be a party for the generations that's for sure
1: yeah it certainly will be the biggest party of the year to that point maybe one more party after that but i'm with you you know my brain tells me all the things the dodgers are i've seen it the braves lived through it last year even with an advantage in that series weren't able to get it done but i'm gonna go braves in six because i feel like they should have gotten it done in five last year i'm gonna give them one more Mm -hmm. extra game there and say that the Braves win and celebrate at home and that the battery is rocking and that the next stop will be that World Series. And, Ben, I know you're going to be calling the action as always, but this time this year, you get to do it with fans back in the stands. It starts out at home. Things that just weren't in play in 2020. I know this has been a great ride for you this year. We love listening to you each and every game. How excited are you to get behind the microphone and get back to work in the uh, what I would like to call, with all respect to Christmas, the most wonderful time of the year certainly for baseball fans
0: yeah it is and and i I can't even begin to express how excited I'm going to be for for games at home. and you know something that I've thought about throughout the off season, you could be the best broadcaster in the history of the game doesn't mean you're going to get to broadcast postseason games. Mm-hmm. That is all about what your team does or doesn't do, and i've I've thought about A team like the Mariners, they haven't seen a postseason game in 20 years. Dave Sims hasn't gotten to call any postseason games. 20 years where they haven't been in the postseason. The Phillies have not been to the postseason in 10 years. They haven't had a winning record. Well, this is their first year they had a winning record in 10 years. Uh, Scott Franski and those guys haven't gotten to call a postseason game in a decade. These are things that are completely out of your control. And the reason I say all that is, I look back on last year, and while it was a tremendous ride, it was so much fun, and getting to call those games of the Division Series and the Championship Series, that was a blast. But there were no fans there. We were calling it off monitors, and I thought to myself, you can't control what your team is going to do. You can't control if they're going to be a postseason team. And while that was a blast last season, I was devastated to think that what if that's my last opportunity to call postseason games for a long time? And it wasn't the full dose of what you would expect, where it was really watered down. It was tremendous. It was fun. It was great. But it just wasn't what it was supposed to be. And to, to get back here the very next year and get right back into the championship series and know that you're going to be able to call games live, in the ballpark in Atlanta, in the ballpark in L.A., with capacity crowds. It's so satisfying to me knowing that I'll get the opportunity to call games of that magnitude the way that they're supposed to be called, the way that they're supposed to be presented, and that's where the broadcaster are live in the home team's ballpark uh, in front of a capacity crowd. So I'm, I'm so glad that I get the opportunity to do that. Uh, you know, you felt robbed of that last season, so it's going to be extremely meaningful to me. And knowing that we finally get to do this, I know we'll probably need a a defibrillator in the booth to make sure that Jonathan doesn't (laughs) die because I've never seen anyone get more stressed out during a postseason game than, than Jonathan Chadwick. But it's going to be amazing, and I'm just glad that our fans get to experience this because they couldn't last year, and uh, the game just wasn't the same without them. So to to have games of this magnitude in front of 41,000 people in Atlanta, uh, that's as good as you can possibly imagine.
1: Boy, I tell you, it's about as good as it gets. And, Ben, I'm thrilled for you to have the opportunity to do this, to be in the house as you're behind the microphone. I'd say the best job in the world. Uh, It's always been my pleasure to work alongside you and in that ballpark and talk baseball with you, and I'm thankful for your friendship and for all the time this morning. I kept you a lot longer than I thought I was going to, but when we get talking about baseball, I really do enjoy it, and I really do appreciate you.
0: Me too, man, and heck, we're doing good just to get it in under an hour. I think we could go off for (laughs) hours talking about this stuff. Let's do it again for the World Series. How about that? All
1: right. I look forward to it, Ben. Best of luck with everything. Thanks so much for your time. I look forward to hearing you on the call.
0: My pleasure, Grant. Thank you.
1: So that'll wrap it up for this NLCS preview edition of From the Diamond. Remember, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. And if you enjoy the show, please, by all means, share it with a friend. That will help out immensely. You can follow me on Twitter at Grant McCauley. The same on Instagram. You can find the show at From the Diamond underscore on Twitter and at From the Diamond on Instagram. Want you to check out Battery Power as well. I'll have an NLCS preview with Corey McCartney and the good folks over at Talking Chop. That should be posted here soon. And I invite you to subscribe to Battery Power on the Talking Chop YouTube page. We've got a lot of good stuff coming for you throughout the National League Championship Series and well beyond. And if you'd like a great place to follow along with every episode, and if you'd like a great place to get every episode of From the Diamond, every episode of Battery Power, articles and videos, and anything else I can throw your way, Fromthediamond.com is the place to find it all. My thanks again to Ben Ingram of the Braves Radio Network for joining me to preview the National League Championship Series. Braves and Dodgers set to clash in a rematch of 2020. Unfinished business for the Braves, who are hoping to advance to the World Series for the first time since 1999. Looking forward to talking about all of the National League Championship Series action with you. This has been From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley. And until next time, so long, everyone.